0: Over the last several months, we've outlined the three central factors that poskim take into account when they decide halachic issues. They weigh their independent interpretation of the canonical sources, they take into account what previous authorities have said about a given topic, and as we've discussed in the last several weeks, they take into account various types of customs those of the nation as a whole, those of individual communities and families and the like. We've also discussed earlier in the year that once a POkh has taken those three factors, they use that to generate the most plausible interpretation of the Halachic issue at hand. Under normal circumstances, they rule accordingly. If, however, there are extenuating circumstances, there's what we refer to in halakha as shahat chak, so then it is legitimate for them to rely on minority positions or less likely reads of the sugyah. However, all of this is necessary to determine the theoretical law. When dealing with halakha practical law, one must take the theoretical decision and apply it to reality. And that introduces an entirely new series of issues. Namely, how does halakha determine the reality upon which a theoretical law applies? Now, even under the best of circumstances, this can be complicated. For example, even if the general principle behind the laws of checking vegetables Produce for insects, for bugs, is agreed upon. Namely, that if there is a vegetable which rarely, if ever, has any insects in it, it's a miut she no matsui, so then one need not be concerned and can consume the vegetable without checking. If something has a mute a matsui, meaning it's still a minority of cases in which it is infested. But it does happen, so then one is obligated to check. And in a case where something is muhzak bitolaim, it consistently is infested, so then it is very problematic to eat, if ever, if one cannot remove the insects. However, determining that reality is complicated because, one, there are a series of halachic questions, namely, what is considered common? How do you determine it? Do you look at common of vegetables, of normal servings of vegetables, of shipments? Does it depend on geography, local geography, larger geography, etc.? And trying to figure out what does it mean for something to be common, uncommon, and the like. And each of these questions, besides for answering the halachic principles of what counts as common and how do I judge it, it then has the complexity of actually determining the reality which may not be that easy. But to look at it more fundamentally, in order to understand the way in which p'sak moves from being halakha in theory to halakha lima'aseh, to being practical law, a posig must go through the process of applying the theoretical material to the reality he, he is facing. And this forces us to ask how exactly a POSAIC goes about doing that. What I want to do today before we get into some of the, the nitty-gritty is, uh, is it in fact the responsibility of the POSAIC to determine reality? Because theoretically, we can understand scheme as having two roles. One is to say that their job is to, in fact, make a final decision on the halachic question posed to them. That entails both understanding the theoretical material, as well as delving into the reality in front of them, and then applying the theory to the practical case. However, another way of thinking of p'sak would be that a posaic determines the theoretical reality, But perhaps it is not their responsibility to determine the metziyot, to determine the reality upon which that halacha will be implemented. The responsibility for determining the reality may fall on the shoulders of experts, perhaps in medical cases, on the doctor, um, and the like. So which way do we view poskim and the act of psak? So here, Rav Lichtenstein, in his article, Legitimization of Modernity, Classical and Contemporary, notes the following radical thesis, as he quote calls it, from Rav Moshe The father, Rav Yosef Dov Alevi Salavechik. The Rav's father argued that these two models of psak are fundamentally the, the difference between psak in the time of smicha, the original smicha, rabbis who were given authority to rule on halachic issues from an unbroken chain of poskim going back to Moshe Rabbeinu, and psak post smicha, and I quote. The Rav once quoted his father, Rav Moshe Zal, to the effect that the nature of p'sak was drastically changed when formal classic smichah was terminated. Originally, a samuch, at least in the Rambam's view that smicha applies to horat, isur v'heter, meaning ritual law, as well as to din, monetary law, would pronounce a decision that was binding by dint of his authoritative fiat. Now, however, the posik's personal status has been vitiated, and with it, the standing of his decisions— Now, he essentially serves as a reference guide, providing reliable information about what the tradition and its sources properly understood and interpreted state, but it is they, rather than he, that bind authoritatively. This is a radical thesis, both conceptually and practically, with potentially momentous implications for the implementation of halakha. Legal decisions obviously entail two components, elucidation of the code, or the rule and assessment of the particular situation to which it is applied. Juridic authority is ordinarily empowered to deal with both components, and the obligation to submit to its dicta encompasses both. When violates thou shalt not deviate, the injunction from which the sentence which they shall declare unto thee to the left or the right by challenging the by by challenging the Sanhedrin's factual determination no less than by rejecting its theoretical conclusion. Yet, if one accepts Rav Moshe's contention, this ought not to be the case with respect to late periods. If a posse is only an interpretive reference guide to halachic sources, one might accept his rendering of the concept of the halachic corpus, but rely upon one's own judgment in evaluating the facts. And here Vlachazin presents the thesis from Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik, as he understands it, that fundamentally, the role of the Samuch, the role of the original rabbis, was indeed to Paskin in halacha from the theory all the way to the practice and their authority was therefore not only on their assessment of what the theoretical law should be, but on the reality to which that law should be applied, and therefore their final decision was also binding by dint of their authority. However, as Rav Lechonstein explains, Rav Moshe argued that this is not true of a contemporary POSIK, whose authority is to determine the theoretical law. And while he may have an opinion about reality, as he is not an expert in determining reality, and is not granted inherent status because he lacks smicha, in theory, the questioner who turns to a pose can say, I like your analysis of the sugya. I find your assessment of how to understand the sugya, of how previous interpreters have ruled on this issue, You're weighing those factors in light of minhag, in light of custom. I like everything you've done, and I agree with your theoretical law. But I see the reality the opposite way as you. And therefore, while you would rule X, I will rule Y. And that theoretically would be a legitimate approach. If we would take this thesis in its fullest form, it would have... Tremendous implications for limiting the authority that Poskim have. Reluctantin, for that reason, pushes back, and he continues, The application of this dichotomy to the contemporary scene would neutralize much of the critique of modern orthodoxy, but it would also neutralize much else, and I think that one should be reluctant to ground legitimization upon so radical a thesis. On the other hand, it certainly ought not to be dismissed entirely and it can be borne in, more in mind as an auxiliary factor, a concept that can be appreciated by anyone familiar with the byways of sock Concurrently, in a far more modest vein, what could harness the element of factual evaluative capacity to our previous discussion concerning the selection of a pole star? He then quotes the Rush, who explains that the choice of a posek may de- be determined understandably by his area of specialization. And the Rosh uses this to explain why Rav was considered authoritative in ritual law and shmuel in monetary law. And he notes that according to the Gemaran Sanhedrin Davhe, Rav was particularly trusted in certain ritual law, because he was known to have spent time to understand it. As the Gemara writes, Vama Rav, Shmona over. Rav says he spent 18 months spending time with a shepherd to know what types of blemishes were temporary and transient and which were permanent because there are different implications of that. Lahalakha. But coming back to Lechonzin's point, he contends that one should neither accept the thesis in its full form, nor reject it. Because theoretically, we have three models. We can take a full-throated version of this thesis as presented by Rav and say that post-game have no authority over determining reality, and therefore, they do no more than determine the theoretical law, but then allow the questioners or the experts to determine how that law will play out in reality, and therefore have almost no control over how their theoretical interpretation of the Sudya will play out. At the other extreme, we could say that, essentially, as Moshe Salavechik described of the smuchim, they have full authority, not just to determine the theoretical law, but to understand the Mitziyot, and therefore apply the law from beginning to end. A middle approach, however, is to argue that clearly the primary role of poskim is to determine the theoretical halakha that is their expertise. However, poskim have the right and responsibility to attempt to understand the mitziut and apply the halakha to the reality as they see it. While perhaps their authority over the interpretation of the reality is not as strong as... Their authority with regard to theoretical law it is also non it is also not non-existent, and this makes sense, I think, descriptively with the way that many people ask questions. As the Rush are notes in the time of the Gemara, Rav was known as an expert in ritual law, and therefore people turned to him, and his positions were considered authoritative. Shmuel was known as an expert in civil law and therefore his interpretations in monetary law were considered authoritative. Nowadays, it is surely the case that poskim who are known to not just have a good grasp on theory, but have a good grasp on the reality, are given more credence and credibility when they weigh in on a halachic issue. Therefore, For example, when people think of which authorities are, if not binding under all circumstances, are leading authorities in halachic medical ethics, they think of people like Rabbi Dr. Avram Avram, who wrote the Nishmad Avraham, or Rabbi Dr. Steinberg, who wrote the Encyclopedia of Jewish Medical Ethics. People who are both Tamidei Chachamim and doctors. And even amongst non-doctors who weighed in, Poskin give a tremendous amount of weight to people like the Tzitzeliezer, Rehlazer Waldenberg, because he was known for really understanding the issues. Roshol Muzalman Orbach is considered a leading authority in terms of his his laws, his halachic discussions of electricity, because of the mastery that he showed over the understanding of the scientific issues when he wrote Maurey H. And therefore, I think a middle formulation, as Raleigh suggests, is in order, which is that poskim, part of the process of psak is clearly attempting to understand the reality. And therefore, it's not true that poskim have no authority to determine the mitziyut and see the halacha through from the theory to the practice. But it is also the case that their interpretation of the mitziyut is not as easy integral to their psaac as their assessment of the theory. And therefore, even a Poseik that one agrees with 100% in terms of theory, a lesser Poseik, or even perhaps a non-posaic might be able to challenge the conclusion of that Poseik if their critique is on the uh, the, the grounds of reality. So, for example, while Rav Kook is considered a leading authority in the religious Zionist world, and correctly so, his psakim about electricity, in which he assumes that it is aish, that is actual fire, um, by many poskim are not accepted because they assume the reality he was looking at was different than their own. And that perhaps he was looking at cases in which wires sparked and therefore could believe that it was real ash, even when not dealing with an incandescent light bulb. Now, while some poskim have reinterpreted his view, to argue that electricity is age for more metaphorical reasons, such as Rav Malamud, many other poskim who normally feel bound by Kok believe that when it comes to this, they are not bound because simply his reality, the way he understood reality, was not the way we understand it was not correct, and therefore I think that descriptively, the way that many poskim indeed approach this uh, this issue of how do I apply halakha to reality, Poskim are viewed as, on the one hand, being responsible and being having the right and responsibility to attempt to understand the mitziyut. And therefore, the way they determine the mitziyot is part of their psak, but on the other hand, it is easier to challenge the interpretation of mitziyot of a then their interpretation of the Halachic Sugya. Now next week we will return to this issue and focus on two particular implications of this. One focusing on medical issues, where this comes up all the time. And the second, with a methodologically similar issue, which is uh, political issues. Um, Ruf Shechter has a fascinating discussion in his article for Land for Peace describing methodologically why it is that he believes that poskim, while they can offer halachic guidance on the theoretical principles, should not be involved in determining the relevant um, metziyot claims, claims about political reality and safety, as they are not experts. The approach of certain poskim to claim that when it comes to medical issues or political issues, that their role should be to describe the theory behind it, but leave the actual implementation to the experts, is essentially a less extreme version of the view that we've just presented from Raimosa Moses They don't, I believe, deny that the posek has any role in determining the mitziut, but they do recognize that fundamentally... Their role is to determine the theoretical halakha, and therefore recognize it in cases which require significant expertise, that the best thing for them to do is to provide the theoretical background, but not weigh in on the mitziut. But before we turn to those next week, I want to note that even if we don't accept the fullest and strongest version of this thesis, and we accept a more mitigated version as presented by Rav um, it is important to note that there is much support for a distinction along these lines. So, for example, the Gemara Nivamo says as follows. It brings a case where there were people who came to the, into the Beit Midrash To the court. And the court ruled that Shabbat was over. If the court ruled that the sun has set and Shabbat had finished, and then it turned out that it was not true and the sun emerged, so This doesn't count as a psak. This is just a mistake. Rav Nachman, amar Rav Nachman says it is a ruling, a mistaken ruling, but a ruling nonetheless. Now what is the difference? So the context here is a discussion of what happens under what circumstances a woman can be held responsible for following the psaq of the din that she's allowed to remarry when, it, on the assumption that her husband is dead, and it turns out that it's not the case. And the Gemara really building on the Mishnah notes that there's two different types of cases there are cases in which one follows an authoritative ruling by the Beit Din which may be mistaken but they follow the ruling in which case their guilt really falls on the Beit Din rather than on them and cases in which the psak of the Beit Din was so off that it doesn't even count as a psak, and therefore one is culpable for his own mistake, despite the fact that he may have relied on Beit Din. And in that context, the Gemara introduces this machloket, where the Tanakhama writes that if the Beit Din ruled, that the sun had said and it had not, that's not even a psak, it's simply a ta'ut. And therefore, even if one relied on the court, one cannot call that a mistaken psak that one followed. It's just a mistake, and therefore the guilt falls in the end of the day on the individual. Accidental guilt, admittedly. But they don't get the protection, so to speak, of having relied on a mistaken psak. But disagrees. But what you see here, the position of the Tanakama is a belief that fundamentally, when it comes to mistakes in reality, That's not really the Bezdin's fault any more than it is the individual's. Because the job of Beidin, even the Bey din, is not necessarily to determine reality. And a mistake in Mitziyut cannot be written off as a mistaken psak It's beyond a mistaken psak It's just fundamentally wrong. And here is an expression of this type of distinction where you see that when a Beidin makes a mistake in so maybe that's a mistaken ruling, but it's still a ruling under most circumstances. Though the Gemara in Horea clarifies that as well. But if they make a mistake on reality, that's not really from the realm of Psak. You see similar in, um, distinctions in several interesting cases. For example, in his in Sefer, his in his discussion of Berur Eliyahu, of what types of things Eliyahu can clarify He says as follows: We know that in general we don't allow nivim to pass in halacha because the process of psak is not given over to Shamaim, it's given over to to mankind, and therefore to chachamim. And a navi ruling as a navi cannot introduce new law, while they can make a temporary ruling. So, what does it mean when sometimes we say that Eliyahu will clarify things? So the solves the problem as follows. And he says, Well, how can we let Eliyahu solve halachic issues? Doesn't that violate the notion that a Navi cannot be mechadeish halacha? And he says, No. That would be if he came to Pask in halacha, the theoretical law. He says, Kiloyavo, raklivarerha bedinim, and later on he says, He says, one of the things that Eliyahu can do, even if he can't pask in halacha, is that he can explain things if we're our doubt is in the nature of the physical things, of the reality. So then that would not violate his the rule that a Navi cannot weigh in because he's clarifying reality rather than halacha, And I think one can find other cases that fundamentally point to the fact that while we may not accept, as I've mentioned, Reh Moche Salavechik's ex- extreme formulation, a more mitigated version, that as Ruluchan supports, is indeed evident throughout many cases in Psakh. A few points to make before we close are the following. Even if one accepts this, one must note that under certain in certain cases, while it may seem that something depends on the mitzud, it may not. What do I mean? For example, the Gemara in Shabbat cites a machloket as to whether it is permitted to kill lice on Shabbat. Rabbi Eliezer said it is forbidden to kill lice on Shabbat. However, the majority position in the Gemara, that of the Rabbanan, is that it is not forbidden because the simple read of the Gemara would dictate that... The Rabbanans say it is only forbidden to kill animals who procreate normally on Shabbat and lice spontaneously generate. Now, one could look at this sugya and say, well, I accept the principle of the Rabbanan, namely, that it is only prohibited to kill an animal on Shabbat that procreates normally, but I think that they are incorrect. They thought that... Lights do not procreate, they spontaneously generate. If that's incorrect, then it is, in fact, forbidden to kill lies on Shabbat. And indeed, there were poskim who, who, who ruled that way. However, if you look at this sugyah, the poskim really divides. Some, as I said, indeed take the position that the Rabbanan were weighing in. Both on the theoretical law and the mitziyut. We agree with their theoretical formulation. We now know that their assessment of the mitziyut was incorrect. And therefore, we changed the halacha and would be forbidden. And to be fair, my sympathies may be with that position. Other poskim say either. Yes, they are weighing in on the reality but we must misunderstand reality and we must be wrong. Maybe they do spontaneously generate. Now I do not agree with that position but I want to point out that methodologically that position also assumes that the issue at hand really is one of reality. The Machloket is whether we trust our eyes um, and our own empirical data or we trust that of Chazal. But there were other poskim who solved the problem and said, really, we should continue to poskin, like the Gemara, that it's not forbidden to kill bugs on Shabbat, but not because we think the halacha doesn't change, or because we're misunderstanding reality, but simply because... What looks like an assessment of reality is not. And maybe what they meant was not that lice spontaneously generate, but that we don't perceive them procreating. And for halacha, all that really matters is that we perceive them procreating. Now, this deserves a sheer in its own right. And maybe we'll come back to it more fully. But for the moment, I just want to point out that it is not always the case that something which seems to depend on a certain reality is, because in this case, there are those post-scheme who argue that what looks like a, an assessment of reality is in fact a description of the way halacha looks at that reality and therefore it doesn't change, even if our assumption about mesiut does change. And therefore, sometimes when it comes at least to rulings from the Gemara, it will be a little bit complicated to figure out what things are in fact dependent on Mitzayot, and therefore would be like the Ta'ud and the Gemara and Yefamot, that the sun has not set, or has set, and what cases are really Halachic claims, which are fully within the authority of Chazal, or a later Posek, to weigh in on. Um, another relevant issue that one will have to look at to fully understand this issue is the question of whether there can be, at least in Shas, a machloket a dispute about reality. If one believes that there are machlokot about mitziyut, machlokot about reality in the Gemara, then that means that the poskim did think in the Gemara that part of their role was to determine reality. And certain poskim fully believed that there were such Machlokot, such as the Orzeruah in Chelek Bet, Belchot Shabbat, Siman Samach, who thought that there were several cases in which Chazal argued about Mitzayud, from which it's clear that he thought that part of the halachic process and part of psak was the Posig weighing in on reality, and therefore you can have Machlokot that hang on Mitzayud. Other Rishonim, however, did not accept this, such as the Maram in Psachim Davchov Bet. And there are many other such questions in Psach and in the Gemara, which are necessary to understand and to analyze in order to fully understand the extent to which we do or do not accept this distinction between the determination of theoretical halakha and its application to practical law. But what we've shown today is that while there may be different degrees to which one accepts this thesis, the fact that the authority that a posaic has over the halachic issues is different in nature and perhaps scope than his authority over determining the mitzvah the reality understanding that distinction is important to understand how it is that post-scheme approach many of the thorny issues where the main question is not the theoretical reality, but is its application to the real world, and like I said, next week we will return to two of such issues medical questions, and political ones to see a little bit of how this type of distinction might play out in an actual halachic case.